Hello and welcome to another episode of the Derncast, the only podcast completely devoted to the works of legendary screen actress Laura Dern. And today we are joined by Joe Lipset. Hello, Joe. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for being here. You have a very impressive resume. I mean, it's more uh, what don't you write for and what don't you do uh, as to try to narrow it down. I mean, come on. You've got two hit podcasts, Horror Careers and HKHS Pod. I'm sorry, the entire name is a long time, is a long way to say, but if you just look up HKHS Pod on Twitter, you'll be able to find it. It is amazing. And you are for Bloody Disgusting grim magazine and anatomy of a scream so thank you for joining us oh thanks again yeah i mean i'm very excited to talk about laura dern because i feel like she i feel like she gets a lot of respect but i don't know that people are always talking about her great body of work yeah no that's very important because honestly like so last episode it's gonna be kind of like a a jarring switch from last episode because last episode we talked about like a b movie that didn't actually get finished the grizzly uh, Grizzly 2 uh, and that's a total B movie and that's kind of like what a lot of like if you just say Laura Dern people always think of Jurassic Park which is like amazing like Ellie Sattler is like an iconic character but they don't really dig into some of her more important roles that she's actually had in media in telling a lot of stories and that's kind of interesting because that's the very uh, evocative of the movie that you chose to talk about indeed yeah i'm i'm curious to know whether or not people even know that this movie exists to be honest well i think it was mentioned on an episode of my favorite murder so a few people if they paid enough attention would would know so that's probably where the biggest cachet is because honestly i was surprised like when i a lot of the best of lists from 2018 like i didn't even see this movie mentioned and after watching it i'm like wow this in my opinion definitely should have been on there but we, we will get to that. I don't want to get too far ahead. Let's talk about your Dernogens, which is your Laura Dern origins. <laughs> Have you ever said that without someone laughing? <laughs> no, and this is the first time I ever said it because I just came up with it now. So, oh, bam, wow. bam, there you go. You're the first person and you laughed. Yeah, it's great. You should definitely keep it. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. How did you first get introduced to Laura Dern? Okay. Well, you you did mention that a lot of people are particularly familiar with her work from Jurassic Park. And I would be lying if I said that that wasn't one of the big first times that I kind of perked up when I saw her. Um, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite of her performances, though. If I were to look at her entire oeuvre, I usually tend to think of her in David Lynch's movies. So obviously Blue Velvet I haven't actually seen Wild at Heart, which oh, is like... That, that's interesting because there are similar themes to this movie tackled in Wild at Heart. Oh, but, really? But done in a very, like, done as in, like, that's kind of like the background of her character. Um, and it's done in a very different style, let's just say. It's very Lynchian. Like, it's it's not, you don't get to of see course. anything overt, but it's like, that's kind of like a lot of things that, like sexual violence is definitely like a part of that character's history so uh, so what you're saying is we should think of her character from the tale as being the like the middle section of this character's life is actually the wild at heart section <laughs> yeah you know right after this uh very heartfelt scene uh she immediately meets nicholas cage and uh they go on a uh a crime spree <laughs> right um 
Yeah, no, the the other Lynch effort that, uh, to be honest, I think it's the one where I first really took note of her was Inland Empire, which is obviously not a particularly old movie, but it's not the kind of movie that you can make with just any actress. And Laura Dern is just amazing in that role. Like, it feels like you're watching someone have a psychotic break in real time for like two and a half hours and she's so good yeah exactly and that is the movie that david lynch famously uh campaigned for her to get an oscar by sitting outside somewhere with a billboard that had uh, laura dern's face on it and a cow and he was just <laughs> sitting there in a very in a very david lynchian way and if you've ever seen that image like that is because he was campaigning for inland empire so yeah, I remember that story. I have no idea where it was. Knowing David Lynch, it was probably somewhere where no Oscar voters were living. It was probably like Hollywood Boulevard, where it was a bunch of tourists being like, who's the old man and the cow over there? What's the deal with that? man? It's like, there's all kinds of weird stories with David Lynch. If you ever have time, look up his video that he did with seven woody woodpeckers that he bought from a uh, gas station in like I think it was like the early 80s there's just like this really weird video of like early 80s and it's like clearly like a VHS cam and him just talking about how he's named all of these Woody Woodpecker dolls that he has in his uh, in his office yeah he he is a special man and I am so happy that he is still around and kind of still making stuff for a while there. I was convinced we were never going to get anything new from him ever again. So thank God for Twin Peaks, the return. Oh goodness gracious. Yes. I thank God for the, the watchers, but I don't think it did well for Showtime. I think that. Didn't no, well. no. I mean, the fact that he managed to finagle 18 hours of content out of them and probably at about three to $5 million a piece, like, god bless that man yeah yeah exactly it was like it's like an only something that david lynch could convince someone to do uh and of course he didn't give people what they wanted but hey that's what that's what lynch does he gives you something you didn't really want no you wanted and sometimes exactly. sometimes it's stuff that you don't want but i mean hey three each their own <laughs> but what is the movie that you decided to talk about for this podcast and what kind of inspired you to choose it Okay, so this is a fun confession that I haven't actually told you about. Uh, when I heard that you were doing this, I knew that people, well, I feared that people would go the conventional route and that you would end up filling the airtime with a bunch of marginally conventional choices. So I narrowed my picks very early on to two, and they were both ones that I had never seen, but that I had heard amazing things about. So it was a toss-up between the television series that she did, Enlightened, oh. which uh, ran for a couple of years. Mike White created it, and apparently she's amazing. And I was like, I don't have time to watch an entire television series. So it would feel disingenuous to have picked it. So I went with my other choice, which was the movie The Tale, which I think had plans to be a theatrical release and it ended up getting purchased by HBO. And it debuted in 2018 as a made-for-TV movie. And if people don't know it, this is a dark tale about uh, sexual abuse in the way that you remember it. So it's filmed through the lens of nostalgia and uh, it's directed by the woman who not only experienced it and then wrote a book about it, but then she turned it into an actual 
movie, and it stars Laura Dern as this woman, Jennifer Fox. Yeah, it's such a it's such an amazing film in that in that way that it kind of like examines memory in a way that I don't know if I've seen a lot of other films do so uh, so powerfully and so effectively. It's interesting because they also use the uh, lens of the doc of like a documentary film to yes. tell the story as well. So it's like it's. I, I was surprised to see that she actually had wrote, written the book and then adapted the book for the, is she also a documentary filmmaker in uh, she's a hundred percent a documentary filmmaker okay. I don't think she had ever made well I guess in a way this isn't a fictional film but it is a fictionalized take on her real life narrative right right and we're talking about uh, Jennifer Fox uh, if you're yes. wondering who we were talking about and 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 the way she incorporates all of those aspects into this story was uh, was was really powerful. Um, so, what did you think of the movie? If this was your first time watching it, yeah, um, I guess my initial impression was, oh shit, Laura Dern is not actually in this movie quite as much as I had maybe hoped, but uh, that's okay. She's still in it quite a bit, but overall. I was blown away by not just the way that the film is constructed and how it does play with memory, which I know you mentioned we'll get into it a lot, I imagine. But uh, I, I just really liked how it plays with ambiguity and the way that... Um, I mean, A, the, the cast is crazy stacked. Crazy. Like, the people in this film are amazing. And a lot of them in unexpected ways where you're like, oh, this person, I love this person. Oh, I hate this person. So it was it was great to cast, see people cast against type. Um, but it also, it's, it, it's just a really powerful film, all things considered. Yeah, this is the movie where Jason Ritter... Uh, yeah. is completely convincing as like a predatory uh, pedophile. pedophile. And yeah. and like this is Jason Ritter who's – if you look at his filmography on uh, IMDb where it gives you like their top three most – like what they're most known for, the tale is on there. But so is Freddie. Oh, yeah, so is Freddie versus Jason and Hillary Duff's Raise Your Voice. So to say oh, this was a, was a bit of uh, out of character for the, uh, Jason Ritter would be an understatement. But he is amazing in this role. Oh, yeah. He's completely convincing. And the I think one of the things I appreciate the most is that he's so charming. Like, you're watching him, and you're watching Jason Ritter, and he's gorgeous. And he's, like, I mean, just the time that the film was made, he's clearly, like, in his early 30s, so he's in really good shape. Uh, it's set in the 70s, so, I mean, if you're me, you appreciate the fashion. But... Like, the film gets so much mileage out of his kind of good guy charm. And it's so disarming then because you see him raping a child. And it is, it, oh, it's so gross. And and you are not lying when you say see. You get to experience what the trauma, like, full out. And I was reading some reviews, and one of the reviews I read that like I just completely disagreed with where they were talking about um, how like it like I don't know how to talk about this film because I'm not sure if I can justify the seeing the abuse happen 
to right. to which I would say, uh, in 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 my perspective, is like if you really want to understand and empathize and like learn how to help people in your life who have gone through really traumatic experiences, you need to kind of experience a film like this because they don't have the luxury of cutting away and not seeing it. Like this is what their memories are, and this is how like they viscerally experienced this horrible event. And uh, in in my opinion, like it's it's important to ex- try to at at the very least through the, the language of film and try to understand so you can like better empathize and better help people in your life who have gone through like victimization, right? Yeah, I actually completely agree with that. I can understand why people would watch this. Like any kind of victim of sexual assault. Uh, this would be immensely triggering oh, and it's yes. like it's a very very upsetting but that's also part of where the power of the film lies you know there's there's a danger in the way that hollywood films and television uh can sometimes sentimentalize or fantasize like make things particularly bad things like violence and you know sexual violence and all of these other terrible things that exist what we think is on the margin they they can sometimes almost seem to glamorize them in the way that you know we just get a fade to black like oh it's a rape it's not that bad because then we just cut and it's the next morning and the person's like i'm gonna go see a doctor or report it to the police and you're like yeah but it's not that easy in real life there is no fade to black there there is no melodramatic music to guide this person through trauma like and the tale, I think, lives in that really delicate balance between saying, okay, I'm not going to be disgusting and vulgar and, and reinforce the trauma, but they also don't shy away from it. This film is hard to watch for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I would I would almost thought it was a uh, uh, speaking about how film handles situations like this in the idea when she finds out that in her head she had aged up how old she was when she experienced like oh God, all of that this. moment is great it's great and and like when you when we're talking about how hollywood deals with a lot of these scenarios like there there have been instances where they've aged people up in order right. to like make you feel more comfortable like in a terrible like kind of gross twisted way to yeah. make you more comfortable with what's happening right so like it, yeah it, don't worry it's not a 13 year old it's a 17 year old so this person is still underage but not quite as underage and you're like yeah but 13 year olds are often the ones who are being preyed upon like (laughs) yeah exactly well it's because it was they they characterize it and they they make it so horrifyingly realistic in that when you're 13 you think you are an adult right like you are you're starting to get to that point where you want to be treated like an adult and you can kind of like twist your head into thinking and becoming like, oh, I am an adult. I can make these decisions. I can do this. Right. And then the the film even deals with that when she's like literally talking to her er, herself as that child. Right. Like there's that really powerful moment in the end of the movie where her childhood self tries to like twist, twist everything that happened to kind of like make it uplifting for her, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Even just the the moment where she tries to rationalize that, you know, she she knows what is good for her. Why won't adult Laura Dern just let her live her life? And you're thinking, 
Yeah, that is something I would say as a young child, you know, where your parents seemingly only exist to tell you what to do. And your parents' marriage is terrible because it's, you know, probably true to life where they don't always love each other and they don't always get along. But as a child, it seems like the worst possible thing. Like we have such skewed perspectives because we're not mature. We don't actually know really anything about the way the world works but damned if an adult tries to tell us how that should be so when you're that age like yeah you you think you know everything and that everyone else is an idiot well exactly and like that's why like every anime the head of that is like always in their teens right because like that's when you're at your most heightened emotions right like and that's where like a lot of like ya and stuff like that that's the reason why things are set in that age range because like that's where you are first learning how the world works and that's where your emotions are at this like peak level and you don't exactly know how to deal with all of the like hormonal changes through puberty and stuff like that and i thought the movie did a really good job handling that yeah and particularly with issues of sex and girls being vulnerable to the whims of men like it's it's so disturbing the moment where or Jason Ritter's character, Bill, you know, the way that he initiates his terrible sexual relationship with this young girl, Jennifer, um, he does it by suggesting that she needs to learn from him because he'll be nice to her and other boys won't. And all I could think about was that is so manipulative because it's preying on all of these ideas that You know, sex is such a mystery when you're a young child and you don't know what to expect. And there's so much fear and anxiety around it. So to have this person that you trust who's older and wiser, who's offering to help you, you know, particularly around this subject, it's so predatory. Yeah, it is. It is so predatory. And like even to the point where people around Uh, Jennifer, like her parents and her mom gets a feeling that something is weird and something is off. But then she's like, there's that terrible, sad moment where the husband just like shuts her down and like completely like invalidates her. And you see how like a lot of victimization is also about like misogyny, right? Like like, misogyny, like constantly uh, stepping on people's like intuitions and like what they think. Cause like they, they understood something was wrong. And there's this really powerful moment where Ellen Burstyn, who plays the mom, who is like, again, another amazing performance in this movie. um, And she's just like breaking down thinking about like, how she failed right like and and talking about like how learning this experience is like kind of like reset her entire view of everything that happened in that time which is just it is it destroys you oh yeah and i mean part of it i think the film as i mentioned earlier it's very well cast right so these people are all either playing against type or they've kind of been cast to maximize like the the public opinions or the ways that we already see and know these individuals. So like the minute that Ellen Burnson shows up, you're just like, Oh, I love her. And you know, you, you feel so much empathy for her, particularly because early on Jennifer doesn't treat her mother particularly well. She treats her like, like a bit of a, like a bit of a nag. So 
whenever you see the mom, you're you're always thinking like, oh, okay, well, I don't like you as much because Jennifer doesn't like you all that much. But then it comes to be revealed that not she's not a bad mother and she's not even really a demanding mother. Like she's obviously concerned for what she has just discovered about her daughter. Like this is something unlike a lot of other films, this film focuses almost exclusively on a trauma that has happened and been repressed. And then it's only really coming to the forefront, like years, like decades and decades later, um, which is why it's such a fascinating film because it's really playing with the idea of how your memory plays tricks on you to cover up the trauma. But the mother character is really interesting because so much of the film traffics in Jennifer not believing what her mother is saying. So, you know, she doesn't believe that Bill and Mrs. G are bad people. And even though her mother is like, what are you talking about? Have you not read your own story? Have you not read these letters that they wrote you? Like, like basically her mother throughout this entire film is never believed by anyone. <laughs> and then she blames herself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a, it is a tough watch. I did appreciate how you see, uh, there are moments where like, uh, Jennifer like really has like big blowout moments. Like her, uh, she's in a relationship with, uh, Martin who's played by common who again, an- like another great casting, great casting, right? a great performance. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. I guess the common, the guy who was in suicide squad and wanted. Yeah. Well also Selma, but, but like he's yeah. not really known for, uh, for taking roles His like dramatic weight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are introduced as having just like a nice, very kind of like a normal relationship, which I just kind of thought was very sweet. But Mm -hmm. there's this moment where she kind of has her like big, big blow up moment about like him calling her a victim where she kind of has to deal with victimization and victim blaming herself. Right. Like it was, it was so interesting to see victim blaming internalized where it's just like, it's so inherent in our culture that like, even if you, like did go through something terrible you can like convince itself like no i didn't because if i did that would make me lesser and which is just a yeah. fascinating but i really appreciated how there wasn't a scene where she apologized to him like you see them like talk no. afterwards and they're having like a conversation and he's being really calm and like they're like there's like a phone call is the last time you like see them like again talk to each other but i thought that was really important that like it there was no scene where he was like, you got to apologize to me for how you acted. But like, no, it's like, it's real people going through these things. And like a supportive relationship is like trying to like work through everything and like not demand penance when you like, clearly they're going through some stuff. Right. Yeah. The, the only time he gets legitimately mad at her is when he's afraid that she's putting herself into danger. Yeah. So he doesn't want her to confront old bill uh when she tells him that that's what she's planning to do and you know he he tries to persuade her not to do it but then when he realizes that he can't because she's she's kind of like an unstoppable force of nature when she gets going like once she because i mean she's a documentary filmmaker right so the whole thing is about how she's desperately seeking the truth of this story like it's built into the fabric of her being as a professional um so for him he's never going to be able to dissuade her from it going further down this track but i love the fact that their final scene is this nearly wordless car ride where he 
he still needs to be there for her and he's comfortable just driving her to the event he doesn't even try to go in with her yeah yeah you're like like, yes that is a partner that is someone who is supporting you even when sometimes you're making a not great decision right yeah no again like i really really appreciated moments like that another thing like not to cut to the end but like to since we're going towards that scene the i loved how it didn't give you a catharsis right like that, that was maybe my favorite part of this entire movie she has this huge blow up and like a a confrontation at um will's ceremony ceremony and will is played by john hurd by the way which is just like oh i guess john hurd's in this movie well there you go that's which again you're like okay yeah i mean not who i would have expected to play the bad guy for the big dramatic confrontation right (laughs) yeah and like the way that they like the way that he like plays it off and like the way their discussion goes is like is crazy like you're i was getting like super tense in my seat and i had to like literally like get out of my seat and like do a lap around my apartment because i was getting like jittery watching the movie but like they have this huge scene of confrontation and they don't end on a high note right like they end in this moment where she's now in the washroom and she's like trying to like compose herself and she's kind of having a panic attack and she's just sitting there in the shower with her younger self there beside her and there's not like a and then it just ends yeah and then it just ends (laughs) and there's not like this like montage of like a bunch of newspapers coming on screen like oh he is punished he got me too and now he is not bad and like blah 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 and like there's no like they don't try to like put a glossy finish and like make you uh, do a little skip and a jump outside the theater right like it's yeah there there isn't even like a written coda that says you know 18 other women were sexually assaulted and you know he was tried and found guilty of all this like Nothing. Nothing. But that, but it's because that's ultimately not the point of this tale, right? right? Like this, this is about a deeply personal examination, which is why I think it's so important that it's, you know, she resists that label of victim. It's why she uh, corrects the police officer when he says, oh, you know, I assume that you're bringing charges against him because you were sexually assaulted. And she's like, no, we had a relationship. I just want to talk to him. Because she's not looking for, she's not looking for justice or vengeance. Like that's not, she just wants the truth. She wants acknowledgement. Exactly, exactly. And also apparently this was John Hurd's last movie. He, I didn't realize that he had passed away, but yeah, this was the last movie he, he filmed before he passed away. But to, to leave on a legacy. Oh, like, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I did, I did not know this. I was just like looking on IMV and I was like, oh no, he passed away. And then like I looked and I was like, yep, his, this was his last movie. And I was like, oh, that is a... That is a that is a bummer, but it's a good movie to end a career on, right? Like, it is, it's yeah. not a, a lot of times. Uh, I'm thinking like actor like Orson Welles. Orson Welles' final movie he is Transformers sure. the animated movie. Like uh. that is that, like that's his legendary ending, right? Like, and it's it's very nice that John Hurd at least went out on a very important movie. Yeah, I have a question for you. Yes. Sorry. Did you think? No, no. It's it's sort of in keeping. Um, did you think that William, the John Hurd character, did you get the impression that he had some kind of Alzheimer's, or was he being like cagey and evasive? I the way that I took it is I took it that he barely remembered it, but not because of Alzheimer's, because he's done it so many times. Like for me, like it it 
Right, because he's such a terrible person Yeah, they all just blended together. Yeah, like it all kind of just blended together, and then he was just like, oh, that thing that happened in the 70s. And then even he has his own, like, uh, again, like a very common case if you, uh, like, in actual, uh, like, cases of, like, pedophilia, and, like, the pedophiles themselves always have, like, a a similar, like, narrative in their head, right? Like, and that even comes out. In, in what he's saying, like, at the end, when he finally kind of, like, comes out and is, like, really talking about it, he's like, no, 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 you were coming on to me, you wanted this, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And and that is a thing that he has made a narrative in his own head to justify everything that he is doing. And that's what, like, mo- right. like that's why, like, moments, like, you were saying where he was talking about how he was doing it for their benefit, like, for her benefit, like, I thought it was so twisted because I actually felt like he believed that. Well, yeah, and I think you're you're also even meant to believe that he truly does love her, right? Like he, it there's a narcissistic way of looking at the way that he breaks down when she calls him and says, "I don't want to see you anymore. I'm not going to be coming this weekend," kind of deal. But I think the reality is that it never he has never looked at what he's done in a negative light, right? Like he and Mrs. G, they, they know what they're doing is wrong because that's why they made sure that young Jennifer doesn't tell the truth, right? Like they get her to lie about where she's going, where she's staying, uh, who she's going to be seeing and so on. So they know that they're not doing right, but I don't think that they see themselves as villains, right? Like they're not predators in their own eyes. They're, facilitating this relationship just so twisted yeah it is it is so so twisted and it's like it it even goes into the cycle of abuse uh as well and in some very interesting ways like you see uh miss g who is uh amazingly uh acted by oh goodness what's her name again i had her name just on it's it's elizabeth debecky elizabeth debecky she gives an amazing performance and even though like three quarters of the performance is smoking in interesting uh, uh, in amazing costumes and poses yes but, but with an amazing haircut amazing haircut amazing haircut um and wow she was she was only born in 1990 i didn't yeah she's she's quite young she's hella tall uh, very statuesque. If people don't know who she is, if you saw Widows, the Viola Davis, Liam Neeson, uh, the kind of heist movie with the all ladies who have to make up the money that their dead husbands uh, lost, she's kind of the breakout star of that movie. But uh-huh. like, she's uh, she's in the second Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Yeah, she's, she's the like painted gold. She's like the gold yeah. lady, and you're just like, yeah, that yeah. that makes sense. That's a she looks like someone who would be a gold lady. Like that's, that's what yeah. she looks like. And she just like, her performance is amazing. Cause like a lot of scenes with her are her directly talking to like current Laura Dern in this like very interesting, mm-hmm. like documentarian style. And yes. like when she finally like breaks down and like, is just like, well, nobody helped me. Right. Like that scene was just, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And and never unpacked, right? Like, no. you know enough to understand that she has gone through something and it's likely been sexual abuse as well. But there's no clarification on it. Because again, this is not that story. Yeah. No. Like the, the film is so economical in the 
in the framing of it in terms of like, we will focus on this and not this, which is why so many of these characters almost seem like extended cameos. Like when they are not required for this investigation anymore, we don't really see them anymore because their part of the tale is done. Yeah, as 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 big as the cast is, this is not an ensemble film. This is a character mm-hmm. piece through and through, which yeah. uh, which was which is a, a welcome change of pace because uh, uh, certain ensemble movies that keep characters who are just clearly tertiary characters, like they keep bringing them back yeah, for like, no reason. And it's like no, no, cut them loose. It's like streamline your story and just like focus on the one aspect, and that's what they do so incredibly well in this movie. Wait, are you talking about Laura Dern's return to the Jurassic Park franchise in Jurassic Park 3? Oh, Jurassic... oh goodness gracious. <laughs> I, I have convinced one person to talk Jurassic Park 3 with me, and we will, of course, talk Jurassic Park 3 and then bemoan the fact that they do nothing with Laura Dern in that movie other than she makes some phone calls. She's not even she's not even with Alan oh, Grant God. anymore. Anyways, don't get me started on Jurassic yeah. Park 3. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's, oh, goodness. I look forward to that episode, though. <laughs> Have fun making that work for an hour. <laughs> it would just be an hour of people doing the Alan Raptor impressions. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I will admit that in hindsight, I don't regret watching this movie at all, but I don't... Well, and maybe I'll put it back to you. Do you feel like this is a good showcase for Laura Dern? Because she did get a lot of attention for it. She, I think she and the movie were nominated for, uh, I want to say Emmys, but I know she got something for, a, I think, a Golden Globe. They didn't win. I, I, oof. I, I think this is a really strong showing for Laura Dern. And honestly, if I had seen this movie last year, it probably would be... I mean, like, I don't mean to do hyperbole, but it probably would have been my favorite or best movie of the year. Definitely wouldn't have been my favorite movie really? of the year. It would have been what I would have put as probably one of my... Be- at least in the, in the top three, because the, I found the movie, like, incredibly effective. And now, yes. now that might be in part due to uh, having people who are close to me that have gone through situations like this. So like some of the stuff in that, uh, in that regard really hit home in a way that it might not mm-hmm. for others. So like, I, I think that kind of played a part into how powerful and how moving I found the performance. But I really, I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again, but <laughs> I, I think it was very important that I did once. Like, I, yeah, I was very this... affected by this movie. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, I'm, I won't sugarcoat it. If anybody's listening and you haven't watched the film, it's, it's tempting to say, go in not knowing a ton about it because part of the way that it's constructed, like as a film, technically, uh, Jennifer Fox does some really amazing things, which we'll talk about, I imagine in a little bit, but, um, it's almost tempting to go into this a little bit cold even if you know that this film is about sexual abuse, like the the way that the film plays it, you don't know until Laura Dern knows. And when that thread starts to unravel, like shit gets really real. And it's it was so really just uncomfortable to watch. Like, there's nothing happening but seeing an adult man 
lying on top of a 13-year-old girl and telling her that they'll just keep trying to have sex until he can get it all the way in and it doesn't hurt her and then it won't be bad anymore. Like, these are things that you don't ever want to see on screen. But, like, it's not... It's not vulgar or exploitative in any way. Yeah. I... Like, it, it somehow manages to be soul-destroyingly terrible without feeling sensationless and disgusting. Yeah, 100%. And, 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 and it is worth noting they did use a body double for those scenes. Like, an adult... Mm-hmm. They, they mentioned that, like, that is the coda they have in the end. Like, any yes. scenes recreating the, like, very intense sexual abuse sequences were used with an adult body double. Um, so, yeah. l- luckily, the the, yeah. the the main child actress, who, again, does an amazing, amazing. job... And yeah. she was at the, like one of her own like the only other credit that I like really recognize her from is she she was in Mama. She was the little girl in Mama, and she has like I think she's just like a random little girl in it. But like if this is yeah. any indication, like she should be getting better, bigger roles um, because this performance was just incredible. And I don't even know how the heck you get that out of a out of an actress this age like i don't know how you do it no yeah uh, uh, i'm i'm in awe of a lot of child actors because they seem to fall into two camps they're either absolutely terrible like olsen level terrible and you're just thinking like okay you need to like step away from the camera or they're like this little girl who's whose name by the way because we'll, well we can acknowledge her by name her name is isabel nilis and uh hello she's canadian she was born in windsor so that's amazing but yeah like it's it's the kind of performance that i think adults would struggle to give and really this is a two-person showcase it's laura dern and isabel nilis and then you've got jason ritter and elizabeth debecky you know hovering around them in their circumference and then everybody else is just kind of like popping in for a couple of scenes and that's it yeah exactly exactly um so did you want to dig into some of the structural things that you were talking about that you kind of referenced earlier if you want to kind of actually let's let's dig into structure absolutely structure um apparently it was a heavy metal structure so uh so Okay, so we we mentioned that Jennifer Fox, like real-life director, writer, Jennifer Fox is a documentary filmmaker. So the film spends a lot of time looking at how do you get realistic interviews out of uh, subjects. Like, that's actually how the film opens. As Laura Dern is traveling abroad, she's interviewing these women, uh, and she's trying to get to the truth, the heart of the matter with the story that she's telling. So that documentary approach ends up coming into play as Laura Dern begins to do this investigation uh, because her mother has sent her the story that she wrote as a 13-year-old girl, which is simply called The Tale. It was a school project that she presumably did at the end of the summer. And it's a she says that it's a fabricated account of what happened to her. Like she made it up. It's not her story, but it is of course her story of what happened at this ranch over the summer with the, her horse trainer and her track and field guide. They are not married, but, uh, 
they have a unlikely relationship and we're meant to think that it's an affair and that they have a certain affection for her because she she's a bit of a loner and she is quite an intelligent emotionally mature child so we on one hand we've got this documentary aspect that's coming into play where laura dern goes and she kind of like busts down doors and tries to get answers from different people and she's not always super successful at that but whenever she isn't satisfied with the response that she's getting or something comes to mind that's really eating away at her we'll get these scenes where it's almost like she's interviewing people from the story so it's mrs g sitting in her living room smoking and looking fucking amazing and laura dern off camera the character will be questioning her and saying you know well what about this and the character it, it's not at all based in real life. I think it's what the character of Jennifer Fox needs to do to move her investigation forward, but also come to grips with what she's realizing about the past. Sorry, I just talked for a long time. Do you want to interject with any of that stuff before I move on? Oh, no, 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 no. I just thought, I, again, again, that's all like extremely powerful stuff. And I just, I, it's so unique in its structure because. I don't recall a lot of other films kind of doing this structure. Like one of the closest that kind of like pulls the rug out of you and like changes the narrative up as it goes. And, and like, again, this is like kind of a stretch, even, even using that aspect, it kind of reminded me of atonement a little bit in, in like, okay. in like, in that regard, like that was like kind of like the closest thing structurally I could think of is like a, a single event being looked at in a few different ways, but this has a real singular focus. It's just, like a documentary and like like doing like a it's almost interesting because this is almost like a, a a parable about journalism in a weird way if you think about it like oh a hundred percent like yeah. the more you learn and the more research you do into a topic the better picture you actually have and it kind of like details the importance of like getting the proper facts and getting them to the public so they can properly react to everything that actually happened right and um, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Like I, I took journalism in school. Which uh, have you seen the? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Have you seen the? <laughs> have you seen the world today? I should just be doing top ten terrible things that happened to Laura Dern in the tale. Uh, right. Would be a terrible, terrible piece on BuzzFeed. Um, but <laughs> or cat memes that you can watch on your lunch hour. Yeah, that's more accurate. I think people would actually watch cat memes that you can watch on your lunch hour. But anyways, but it just made me go like, oh yeah, like this is why like investigative reporting and documentarian uh documentarians are so important especially in the modern age yeah. right yeah yeah so you alluded to the other kind of significant structural piece that the film uses which is um this re it's like a a revisionist approach to how the character remembers things so there's a couple of different sequences that repeat somewhat frequently throughout the film. Uh, one of them is a series of kind of still images as uh, the character at 13 goes to the horse farm. So uh, Mrs. G's farm that she owns with her husband, who she's presumably cheating on. Uh, so we're introduced to like her. And then we see an image of Bill, young Bill, Jason Ritter walking up and, um, uh, 
and it paints this idea of like, this is what I remember from that particular age. And then she'll go off as an adult and she'll discover some new piece of information and then we'll flash back to that sequence or some other variation. And all of a sudden there will be a new character that she had previously omitted because she had forgotten or repressed something. Yeah. So it's it's a fantastically visual way of acknowledging that your memory is fallible and that there are things that you will forget or deliberately overlook in order to tell the kind of story that you want to tell. So 13 year old version of her wrapped this story in a certain way. And she has always believed that up until the point where her mother forces her to confront the truth by sending her the story. And when she reads it, she starts to realize that the memory she has in her mind is not reality. And she uses her documentary approaches to break down where those gaps are or where she's filled in things incorrectly. Um, but then you have to take that meta step back because that's also what real life director writer Jennifer Fox who went through this and then wrote about it and is now filming it is also helping you to do as a viewing audience. So she's forcing you to re-examine what you already thought of the story by reframing it and saying like, oh, but what changes if this person was in the mix? Or if this weekend wasn't the weekend that you thought it was, it was actually not in winter, it was in fall. And that's like, it's such a delicious approach to constructing a narrative. But in the, in the context of this particular film where it is all about storytelling and the lies that we tell ourselves to live with the truth of terrible things that happen to us. Like it, it really is how the mind works, but it's also a great filmmaking technique. Yeah. I think, I think it's most, uh, the, it's most effectively used in that there's that sequence where she meets up with the woman who is now a teacher. Um, but there's that moment where they're, they're sitting down and they're talking and she goes 13. That's like, that's the age of the kids I teach now. And, yeah and, and like the the realization of what she almost like helped happen was just what she was like complicit in was just oh my goodness you see the look on her face as she like realizes and like she she herself deconstructs a false narrative that she had built up right like mm -hmm. oh goodness and like the yeah the, but because it's not her story, we don't we don't see any of that process work. We only see it when it's Laura Dern who does it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, the the idea of like what saved her from that day is something as banal as getting a cold, right? Like, and she is is saved. Oh, but wait, you you don't think that cold was real, do you? Oh, I I I didn't read that as real at all. That was when she finally came to the realization that doing things, sexual things with Mrs. G and Bill was not all right. So I took that to be, cause she says, I think briefly oh, that it was her body knew and her mind. It took a while to catch up. That's true. No, 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 you're right. You're right. I think it's like a, yeah. So like, it wasn't really a sickness. Okay. Mm -mm. Yeah. Cause there is that scene after her first uh, experience, like after her first rape, uh, to just put it bluntly, yes. she's first rape yeah. where she's where she is like puking in the in the bathroom, and they do kind of like 
there's a very similar scene that happens the day she decides to not go yeah. to uh, the uh, horrible the track meet quote unquote which is actually just an excuse to go to a hotel yeah. and uh, for a foursome for a, a foursome Andrew oh, oh. god this movie <laughs> But then I love it, too, because that actually once again comes back in that final confrontation where she says, I puked after every time, like every time he raped her, she vomited. So and you, and you can play it back and be like, yep, OK, that that tracks. Yeah, that's like exactly. And it just oh, goodness, there's like nothing that really puts a capper on like just how awful of an experience it was like overall and just. There was that, like, uh, sorry, I mean, kind of jumping around here, but, like, speaking of, like, the, the sickness moment, there was that moment that, like, came, uh, for me, like, almost came out of nowhere, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I could never imagine even my brain going here. But her mom asks, did she enjoy it at one point? Yeah, that that's one of those things where it's it's so gross to hear it. Like, I, I was shocked and appalled when her mom said that but it's a really important piece to include because any discussion about sexual trauma like rape and sexual abuse there's always there, there's always this hint of sexual impropriety like oh well did she want it was she dressed provocatively like you know she she kept going back to this horse farm like why didn't she say something if this was happening why didn't she try to tell someone to put a stop to it so i it's it's so horrible and disgusting that her mom would ask her that but i think it's important to have that in there for the sake of saying like hey no that's not okay and if you didn't react to that in a really pissed off off-put kind of way like you're part of the problem. This is why people can't come forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, again, it's like the the irresponsibility of like media companies like Fox News and the way that they spread uh, like the results of like sexual abuse allegations and like things coming yeah. to the forefront is like there's this always this terrible narrative in media. And I thought that was really uh, a good scene that kind of like highlighted that because like even – a person's own mother can be mother. can be twisted yep. by like all of these outside forces, and they never go out and go like, "Oh, it was because of Fox News, right?" Like this is not like a blunt attack, but you just know uh, rape culture and like how it's treated in society, and like it's it was like it was an incredible indictment that didn't actually speak any names to indict. You just kind of like knew at how badly it infected the culture. Mm hmm. Yeah. The other interesting thing that the film does is because this is a historical film. So there I think there's at least two different references to people saying, oh, but it was the 70s. Yep. Yep. As as though to suggest that, well, it was a, a simpler time, you know, or, oh, this this was more commonplace or we didn't know any better. And it, it's like the film is so clearly not <laughs> coming down on that side like the fact that anyone could look at what is happening to this little girl and excuse it by saying oh well it was the 70s like like that's why i think the scene between common and laura dern is so powerful because she's not ready to accept 
what has actually happened to her. And she's certainly not willing to accept a victim status. And it's right for her. She, if she doesn't want to consider herself a victim, that's obviously her prerogative. But that's not really what's happening in that scene. And Common is just so outraged on her behalf because he, I mean, it's like the idea that something like this could happen to someone that you love and has obviously affected her in so many ways. Like we haven't even touched on the fact that this film has a very provocative stance about marriage and monogamy and how that has infected her so that her entire adult life, she has never wanted to get married and never had kids. And that's why she doesn't care about the fucking ring and all these other claims that she makes when she wants to hurt him. Yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And like the, it even affects her workplace, right? Like you see her, they do some like very important sequences of like her being at work because she's a teacher and she's like a mm-hmm. professor and she's like talking to her students. And like, it just kind of like slowly starts to creep in and affect her workplace. Yes. Right. Like it's, it's, uh, it's really traumatizing. And for people who have gone for tr- through trauma, like, little triggers can just set you off and you won't even realize why you're being set off. And then suddenly you're like crying at work, right? Like it just happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really powerful way to express that again. Like it, it does. This movie is all about showing and not telling. That's like the primary example of what this movie is trying to, to convey. They don't want to tell you the abuse that happened. They want to show you what happened. They want to put yeah. you there and make you watch and make you experience, and it will hollow you out emotionally, but it's very important. Yeah. It's it's interesting because I imagine that there could be people who maybe don't have as firm a grasp on the language of cinema or the way that stories are constructed in a visual medium. Sorry, in a visual medium. Um and I wonder if they I wonder if there are people who looked at the classroom scenes as additional kind of like, eh, why is this in here kind of stuff? Because initially I, I was intrigued to see how her documentary status was going to come into play. Right. Um, and we do we do see the interviews that she's conducted with women in India come back into play later when she's reflecting on how it has informed her approach to uh, sex and pleasure as a woman. So we see that parlayed into uh, into the video footage that she took at the beginning. But the, the classroom stuff is very, like it's, it's very carefully crafted. So it starts with her doing an, uh, a scene on, on interview techniques and she brings this kind of schlubby student guy down and she kind of exposes the ways that people will just innocuously lie or tell mistruths. So how body language can reveal certain facts and how people don't always commit to answers that makes them uncomfortable. And we see this so often in the adult interactions that she has with the aged Mrs. G who is played by the great Francis Conroy. Um, But then she also does a second interview with a female student. And this is the time when she says, like, how can you talk about how can you interview people, frankly, if you're not willing to talk about sex in a frank way? And it's it's a very uncomfortable scene because you you get the sense that she's actually 
she's not reading the way that the room is feeling because she's asking these really uncomfortable questions of this female student in a very public forum and they're they're heavily coded but it's important because this is her getting strong enough to begin getting more explicit and more deliberate so like i think that scene that you were talking about with iris the college age girl it happens almost immediately thereafter and like when laura dern sits down and starts asking her questions she's just like did you know that we were going to have a foursome that weekend did you know i was 13 were you having a sexual relationship with bill did you have sex with Mrs. G? Like, she's so frank and to the point, she doesn't give two shits about whether or not she's needing to finesse the conversation, but it works, right? It gets her the most explicit answers that she's been looking for up to that point. Yeah, that that's very true. It's, it's amazing because I almost, this is like a, a movie that I almost think is very important to show at film school, but for a variety of different reasons, right? Like, you could almost... Uh, show this as like an example in a documentary film class as to like how to be a good documentarian right because like, yeah <laughs> they, I, I mean there's a whole bunch of other things to gain from this movie as well but like this is just one other little nugget that you can take from it because you do see her like you were saying opening up and learning how to be more direct and then when she just gets into that interaction she just gets straight to the point and it's bam 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 and and it's it is it blows you away because again it gets what she she wants to to talk about and it works and i i'm just thinking my own interview style and i would never be able to be that direct about anything uh oh gosh no it's so uncomfortable <laughs> yeah exactly like the the moment between asking the question and then receiving the answer would just feel like so long in my in my head like it would just oh i don't know Oof. well even like the the moments where it doesn't pay off yeah. are so hard, right? Like it's it's kind of fascinating because the scenes that she has, so Laura Dern and Francis Conroy have a couple of scenes together. And Francis Conroy is so enigmatic as as the older version of Mrs. G. So the young Mrs. G, played by Elizabeth DeBecky, is warm and approachable and motherly and like just loving right yeah. and then you see this this kind of shriveled up like really combative closed off older woman that she's become and part of the mystery is whether or not the younger version is just part of this fantasy fictionalized version that 13 year old jessica projected or if mrs g has actually become this kind of old crone as a result of what has happened in her life but like when laura dern goes to interview her she never gets anything out of her and it's i think because she's not using the right interview techniques because she's too emotional because every time she goes to try to talk to older mrs g She's always in that state of kind of like frantic, like, I just need to know. I just want answers. And that that desperation doesn't work. It doesn't get her anywhere. Yeah, that that's very true. And that's why in those further interactions, she is kind of dispassionate in her in her delivery. And 
yeah, like e- talking about it now, there's like little moments that were so significant that I didn't even really kind of grasp the full significance of until, you know, having a discussion about it afterwards, which, uh, again, just shows how good of a film this is. Uh, in, yeah. In my eyes. I would, which is funny though, right? Because it, it seems in a way like a very straightforward film. Right. It's a woman who discovers that she was sexually abused as a child and she goes to track down answers. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the movie. <laughs> that is the movie, but there's so much in, in everything that happens that there's, there's a lot of little details to, to dissect. I think Jennifer Fox would, should really uh, take a bat and i hope she gets a chance to make another like live action film i would be very interested to see her do this or, or i wonder if maybe this is such a personal film that I, she might not ever make another live action film I, I would be curious to see where her um career goes from here yeah she's i think she's still making documentaries yeah. i don't know whether or not she has any ambitions to come back to yeah, again, like, I don't know what to call this, like a fictionalized documentary in a way. But um, I I didn't realize that she had written and directed this. So I knew that she was involved. And I thought that she was involved in like a larger capacity. But I didn't realize that she had written the screenplay, that she had directed it as well. Like, I can't imagine being this close to the story and probably also because the other coda aside from the body double is that there are certain things that were fictionalized or altered to make the story appropriate for television or for a film so i i can't imagine being this close to the material and then having to think about okay how do i tell this story creatively in a way that makes sense that maintains its power like it's it's so impressive. And to think that it's from someone who has never tried to, to make a film in this capacity before. Yeah. It, it is, uh, amazing, right? Like I can't, I can't even imagine doing something like this and writing and directing already on its own is a very difficult thing to do, but also for it to be an autobiographical piece, right? Like yeah. it's uh it's more impressive than anything like I've seen from most male most if not all male directors, right? Like this is uh yeah. this is a very personal personal tale and it it these are the kind of stories that like should be getting out there about this instead of like what often happens is it's like a male person who is like outside of it like so for example like in the horror genre there's like i spit on your grave which actually i've heard from people who've gone through trauma that it has helped them but the way that it's told and what the story is it's it was written because the director came across somebody who was a victim and it's like how he dealt with the trauma of seeing the victim and trying to empathize with what she went through but as such it's not an accurate portrayal of what she actually went through and that's why films like this are, are really important because they kind of like they remove the distance right like there is no distance you can't distance yourself from this film because you are in it with uh jennifer and her discovery and you're a smack dab in the story as it happens yeah and well i imagine that there are there are maybe people who could watch this and feel 
that the ending is a little anticlimactic or it's not quite as satisfying as they would like right. because you don't get that kind of emotional closure. I imagine that this is unfortunately closer to a lot of people's lived realities where they maybe don't ever get all the answers that they need, but they find some kind of way to process it. And maybe they get the satisfaction of telling the person who hurt them that they, they know and that they're not okay with it. I mean, I think in the hands of a less capable writer director, this film would have had a bombastic ending yeah. and it would have ended in a courtroom or a, a sentencing hearing or something like that. And it would have been so cliche yeah. and it would have robbed like the, the realness of this film. There's something so satisfying, but also horrible about that final image of a woman and her younger self and no answers about what the future holds about this. Like her life has unraveled with these discoveries and it's played so beautifully by these two actresses directed by this woman who is literally telling her own story in a way that makes sense to people who have no comprehension about what she's gone through. And like, it's one of the best films of the fucking year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And I am definitely going to go and look at some of her documentary work after this. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to kind of like obtain everything that Jennifer Fox has ever done because I think she's such a compelling storyteller, and the way that she uh, so deftly handles her own trauma is is just amazing to see, right? Because this is this, I, I would very interested to see like how she felt after making this movie like was this movie a catharsis for her or did it kind of end in in a in the same way that it did kind of for laura dern's character in the movie version right like yeah there's a lot to unpack there and uh i'm deaf I, I don't know yeah i don't know either i mean god i think we both hope that the catharsis is what she got Hopefully, i yeah. i would hope if nothing else the accolades that came from this film like i know one of the reasons it was on my radar is because i had heard uh reviews coming out of film festivals that this was an amazing film and people said you watch laura dern is going to get an oscar nomination for this role because she is so good in this movie and then it got bought up by hbo and everybody just said well fuck because TV movies don't get nominated for Oscars. And, well, there's an argument to be made. Look at this day and age of streaming and television and all this kind of stuff. Arguably, the film got seen by more people because it was on HBO and people can just, like, go and watch it now. They didn't have to go to theaters. Because there's also an argument to be made that this isn't the kind of movie that people are going to flock to movie theaters to go and see. But... I think there's also an argument to be made that had this gone to theaters and maybe she did get some movie award buzz, more people would have seen it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's on one hand, I think Jennifer Fox should be so, so proud of the movie that she made. And I hope that she feels okay with the fact that it 
only aired on HBO and that maybe a bunch of people never paid attention because it didn't get all the accolades that it definitely deserved. I would be really like, I think one of the only, like, I mean, I would definitely recommend this film to everyone if that's not obvious already. But I think one of the Mm -hmm. only other times that I would rewatch this movie is I would be very interested to experience this movie in a theater. Because there is so, there is something so <laughs> encapsulating of being like trapped in this dark space, like nobody has their phones out. There's no further like right. interact like distractions. It's just you are even more so focused on on the event as it happens, and to feel like I, I the feeling of walking out of the theater into the sunlight again would just be such a weird interesting experience that this may be that that would be like the only way that I would probably really want to re uh, experience this film. So I hope film festivals, I don't know. Does, does HBO allow any of their films to be played at film festivals? Like, I think it was playing before it got. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't think afterwards, except for, I think they, they showed the Liberace, the Michael Douglas one with Matt Damon. Oh yeah. Underneath the Candelabra, I believe. Uh, I think they had already bought that and they let it play at a film festival for some reason. Okay. But, well, I mean, I guess it does um, occasionally, but... Yeah, I think that's the rare exception. But I will say that uh, I was going to plan this magnificent triple bill that I was going to invite you to, but I guess now I won't. So I was going to do this and... Uh, and uh, it's it's always a tragedy when you forget your own joke. But, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. I was thinking like, why well, you gotta make me see martyrs like the original martyr? No, no. Okay, I'm back. I've got okay. it. It's so we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do mysterious skin, and then we're gonna wrap the evening up with uh, that Amy Adams TV series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And everybody goes on Prozac before we start, just to make sure. Yeah, just to make sure. That would be uh, that would be quite the triple bill. I don't know how many people you would get to show up for that. Uh, was it was it Sharp Objects? That was the Amy Adams mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Oof. Yes. Thank you. I'm looking at the image of her because it's like tied to the page for the tale. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, are are we just going for like? the saddest things that we can connect here on IMDb. Yeah, I guess. Oh my goodness gracious. I, the Sharp Rogers was also HBO, was it not? It is, yeah. Um, and and trafficking, if people don't know, in fairly similar territory, but obviously wrapped around more of like a murder crime investigation. That's what draws Amy Adams' character back. But I mean, I, I think we'd be remiss to say that part of the power of the tale is that this is a real story. Yeah. So this isn't just a well-constructed, you know, fictional film about sexual abuse. This is something that actually happened. And that lack of closure at the end of it is almost more powerful as a result, because hypothetically, this guy is still out in the world. And, and if we've learned anything from the Me Too movement, because we're finally kind of starting to see some of the ramifications of the Me Too movement in modern to end, like a lot of the court cases are not going the way that we would hope, right? Like it, no, of course and not. like th- these people are still getting work. They're still yeah. out there. 
Kevin Spacey's still doing performance pieces in museum galleries. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking Max Landis is still allowed to helm anything. Like, he's still allowed to exist so on the planet. And it's, it's gross and it's terrible, but movies like this show that, yeah, like, these people are going to still be out there because a lot of times the way that are the legal system, at least in America, I'm not sure exactly. Have there been any cases that have gone through the Canadian legal system? Was Gian, What happened with Gian Gameshi? Was that in... No, he got oh, off. God, fucking hell. God damn. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and, and they blamed the women. Yep. A hundred percent were like, oh, well, you went on more than one date with him. You know, if he had really sexually assaulted you, then why did you go back? And it's like, do you understand anything about power dynamics? Yeah, like, it's, what the fuck? It's fucking, it's just like people who are trying to get people off on any technicality and like just alter the stories in a way that like they can just play off as like being a way to blame the woman. It's just, it's horrible. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. that's why movies like this are important. Uh, unfortunately, like these are things that happen in our everyday lives. And the more people that see this, the more uh, work can be put in, at least from like a legislative standpoint, uh, more like if you are a person who feels like something could possibly be going wrong with someone you have to do something right like it's the the strength of character to uh ask for help and and seek out and be vigilant and like try to be able to help people because chances are it's a lot more widespread than you think and uh there could be someone in your life who is going through something like this or will go through something like this unfortunately so this is oh it's really important to to know how to properly support them and to do, do a lot of research and Laura Dern is like a big proponent of that in her normal life, right? Like she does a lot of charity work for like women's organizations in uh, in a way that's like that's really impressive. And again, part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast because just kind of like appreciate her as an actress and some of the roles she chooses. Uh, they're not all grizzly twos, so this is true. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't think anybody looks at this movie and says, oh, wow, I, I bet you I can win a bunch of awards for playing this. Like, I imagine she looked at this and said, this is an important story and I really want to be a part of it. And like her her commitment to the character, well, I, I wish she had had a larger part, which sounds weird considering that she is like the main character in the film. Um, like there's there's an undeniable presence yeah. that Laura Dern brings to this. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that the film is as powerful as it is, is because an actress of her stature said, I see something in value of value in this and I can bring to the forefront everything that needs to come out so that people will pay attention. And it does, you know, get some attention as a result. Yeah, a- a- exactly. Exactly. So m- my final thoughts are of you need to, to see this movie like now yeah. I, I do put a caveat if you are somebody who is who is triggered by these like do not feel like if you have been victimized in their past right like this might this might not be the best movie to just hop in on a friday night right like this like mm-hmm. and, and and if you are a person who uh knows anyone who's gone through this like it's a very important movie to see but like make sure you're looking after yourself too right absolutely yeah. so yeah yeah, I will, as as much as I said, like, oh, shit, it aired on HBO and a bunch of people didn't see it. Like, 
I appreciated the fact that I could pause it and take a breather and just be like, I'm just going to refresh my coffee because I need a moment to breathe because the film is that impactful. Like a hundred percent people should definitely seek it out. If you haven't, I hope we have done enough in this hour and 10 minutes or so to convince you, but um, yeah, protect yourself. But know that if you want to see an amazing movie with a great Laura Dern performance in it, the tale is well worth your two hours. Yeah, I, I could not have said that better myself. So, Joe, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for bringing such a good topic and and doing such a and having such a good discussion about this. Honestly, I think this is probably one of the best podcasts I've ever done. So thank you for being a part oh. of that. Well, it, it helps to have good material and a good sparring partner. <laughs> that, that is very true. <laughs> Where would you recommend people go to find your work in the future? Uh, as always, the best place to find me is on Twitter, unfortunately, for better or worse. Uh, I can be found at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And obviously, you can keep up with me on my two weekly podcasts, which is Harry and Katniss and Harry... Uh, Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star. My co-host will never forgive me for that. Uh, that is the young adult literature podcast that I do with my co-host Brenna Clark Gray. And then I can also be found on Horror Queers, which is the gay horror podcast that I do with Trace Thurman as part of our Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. And as always, have a dernaful day. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>